Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Stephen King Cast, one man's musings on the works of Stephen King. Each week, I'll review one entry from the bibliography of Stephen King in the chronological order of publication. So, everybody, um, welcome back to our regularly scheduled programming. If you have been listening over the last month, you'll know that I spent a significant amount of time in the city of Derry exploring the sewers, the barrens, and the library for clowns and spiders and other creepy crawlers found within the thousand-plus page nail-biter It. For everyone that was getting antsy and wanted to move on to the next book, you're in luck! because today we look at Stephen King's 1987 entry in the fantasy genre, a story of spells and magic, duty in dungeons, betrayal, redemption, princes, magicians, dragons and dollhouses, Eyes of the Dragon. Last month was dedicated to a character that half the Stephen King fanbase considers his ultimate villain, while this week's episode is brought to you by the letters RF and is dedicated to the character that the other half of the Stephen King fanbase considers his ultimate villain, and that, of course, is the manipulative, chaos-spreading, magic-wielding, anarchistic embodiment of evil who in other worlds is known as the Dark Man, the walking dude himself, the one, the only, Flag. Now, before I get into my review, I'll read the Wikipedia summary so that I'll have a foundation upon which to build my analysis. The Eyes of the Dragon takes place entirely within the realm of Delane, which in itself is located within Inworld from the Dark Tower series. It is told from the perspective of an unnamed storyteller narrator who speaks casually and frankly to the reader, frequently adding his own commentary on characters' motivations and the like. King Roland's magician Flag seeks to destroy the kingdom of Delane, sees his plans being ruined by the good heart of Queen Sasha. After Sasha gives birth to Peter, a noble and worthy future king, Flag realizes that his position, his plans, and his life may be in danger because of Peter. When Sasha is pregnant with a second son, Flag seizes the opportunity. He forces the queen's midwife to cut Sasha as the second son Thomas is born. Sasha bleeds to death, and Flag begins plotting to remove Peter. As Peter becomes a teenager, he begins the custom of bringing a glass of wine to his father before bed each night. Flag decides to use this as a means of framing Peter. He dissolves a poison called Dragon Sand in a glass of wine and delivers it to the king after Peter leaves. Previously, in an attempt to win Thomas's friendship, Flag has shown him a secret passage where Thomas could spy on his father. Unbeknownst to Flag, when he delivers the poison, Thomas is watching through the glass eyes of the mounted head of Roland's greatest trophy, the dragon. Flag plants evidence incriminating Peter. After a brief trial, during which the judge decides Peter is guilty, he is locked up in the enormous tower called the Needle in the center of the city. Thomas is then crowned king. Although he is only 12 years old, due to his youth and his fearful experience, he allows Flag enormous amounts of power. At the start of his long stay in the Needle, Peter manages to send a note to the judge who convicted him, Anders Pena who is seemingly innocuous requests to save his mother's old dollhouse and napkins with his meals. Pena is puzzled by the requests, but seeing no harm in them, grants them. Five years later, Peter escapes from the needle, having used the toy loom in the dollhouse 
and threads from the napkins to make a rope. After the escape, he and his allies rush to get Roland's bow and arrow. However, it is not to be found because Thomas had it once they got into the king's sitting room. Flag, now revealed as a demonic being, is about to kill them when Thomas reveals himself and tells Flag that he, Thomas, watched Flag poison Roland. Thomas shoots Flag in the eye, but Flag uses magic to disappear and escape. At the end of the novel, Peter is declared to be the rightful king. Thomas, who has become deeply hated in Delane, sets off alongside his butler Dennis to find Flag. They find him and confront him, but the narrator does not reveal the outcome. So, as I've stated in other episodes at this point, Stephen King is widely known as the master of horror, but he's proven himself to be a master of other genres as well. So, like I've said before, Firestarter, for instance, it's pure science fiction, and it's the closest thing to an action movie that he'd written at that point. The Dead Zone... Uh, is a nail-biting thriller. The Stand is a post-apocalyptic adventure fantasy novel. Rita Hayworth and the Shawshank Redemption is a classic escape-from-prison drama. And The Body created the blueprint for the coming-of-age tale. The Richard Bachman books are hard-boiled dime-store paperbacks. And here, King steps fully into the realm of fantasy. He's dabbled a little bit in this genre, I mean, we've seen elements in The Talisman, and the horror classic It invokes the fairy tale. But The Eyes of the Dragon is a pure, old-school take uh, of kings and kingdoms on princes and magicians. Now, the question is, how is it fair? Well, at the time, not so well. His audience was so angry with him that he hadn't given them another horror story that he decided to write Misery, a novel about an author trapped by an obsessive fan who demands that he writes a genre-specific novel to satiate the needs of the reader. Now, coming off the heels of the ultimate essay on horror, I can understand the backlash. After all, how do you top the tale of children battling a cosmic shape-shifting spider clown? The answer is, you don't. So I completely understand the decision to provide a novel in another genre altogether. However, with that being said, I don't really like Eyes of the Dragon. I never outwardly disliked it in the past, and I still don't. But rereading it as an adult made me realize that King had already given us his fantasy tale with the Dark Tower series. His only entry at the time of Eyes of the Dragon's publication was The Gunslinger, and while that novel isn't perfect by any means, uh, it's one that I vastly prefer over this one. With The Gunslinger, he managed to merge the classic European fantasy genre with the Western. With it, we have everything that we have here. Power-hungry magicians. In fact, the same power-hungry magician. Kingdoms and betrayal. But it's also blended together with cowboys, with futuristic technology now in ruin, with 1970s New York, with demons and mutants thrown in for good measure. With such an insane and unique take on the fantasy story... A traditional entry is going to feel like a letdown. The, 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 the main enjoyment that I get out of this is trying to fit the pieces into the larger Dark Tower puzzle. And that has less to do with the story and more to do with the interactive fan involvement with the larger Stephen King universe. Plus, and look, this is no fault of Stephen King. 
But reading this in a post-Game of Thrones world does not do it any favors. When you have George R.R. Martin's sprawling epic that subverts fantasy tropes at every turn, a novel that plays into every trope makes for a boring experience. Again, King wrote this long before A Song of Ice and Fire was popularized by the HBO smash hit A Game of Thrones, but the popularity itself does not really help this book at all. Anyway, on to the book itself. The opening page tells us all we need to know. The setting, the lane, the characters, the king, Roland, and his two sons, Peter and Thomas, and his magician, Flag. We are also given the conflict. Peter is the rightful heir, but Flag wants the younger son to take the throne. And that's a story. It's as simple as that. What's noticeable here is the change in the storytelling itself. And maybe that's why the reading experience has always seemed so thin to me. That's because Stephen King has always done an impeccable job at showing rather than telling. And here, by choice, he's telling. And he's telling a story. This is a novel that reads like a storybook. One specifically told aloud to reinforce the fairy tale quality of the story itself. Maybe by a fire on a winter's night. Maybe while talking a child into bed. It's a great exercise for the writer. And the pantheon of King's works... Um, makes for a notable entry, another example of how we never stop trying new things. So in that regard, I applaud that. However, it doesn't really play to Stephen King's strengths. King is a master at placing us in any scene, making us feel like we're either there with the other characters or inside the characters' thoughts. Now here, in the first half of the novel, there's always a distance between us and the characters. Now, granted, he's still able to stir up emotion. Look no further than the scene in which Thomas presents Roland with the sailboat, only to have Roland put it aside and continue his praise of Peter's archery skills, followed by the dismissal of the boat, which is overheard by Thomas himself. It's so cringeworthy and effective. It helps show us um, how thoughtless Roland can be, how hungry Flag is, seeing this is the moment he can later exploit and goes a long way in establishing sympathy within the reader for the character in Thomas, who, in the next scene, stones a dog to death. That's a horrific scene, and shows the very low places that this character can go, but the pain and anguish from the emotional neglect of his father is so fresh in the reader's mind that we don't outwardly uh, hate Thomas for his actions. So, there's a distance there, but King is still able to do wonders in establishing characters. I'll give him that. Um, and Peter's trial and imprisonment ultimately makes up most of the book. King does well at establishing the lengths to which Flagg will go to frame Peter for the murder, Anders' suspicion both pre- and post-trial and the fallout from the imprisonment seen in the case of Ben's harassment. Of course, the scenes that leap off the page are the ones in which Peter formulates his plan, enacts his plan, and stands up for himself, a regal prisoner. The last hundred pages pick up the pace and the tension. From Dennis's discovery to Pena's determination to set things right, it grows very intense. The characters dance lightly, very aware that one dragon's head might hang upon the king's wall, but the real dragon is very much alive, always hungry, and whose eyes are keenly aware of all that it sees. And of course, I'm talking about Flag. So, the final half of the novel... Um, really is it's 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 good i really i do enjoy the second half 
Um, the first half, I think, is kind of dull, but the second half definitely picks up. Um, Flag takes center stage, and I would say that the first half of the novel, Flag, feels more like the man in black, Walter Martin Broadcloak. The second half feels more like Flag as we know him, in many ways, from The Stand, which is really interesting. Um, so look, guys, I, I feel bad here. Um, I'm not even 15 pages in. I don't have much to say about the novel as a novel. Um, and I want to talk about objectivity. You know, I try and be objective. Um, but I, I got to admit, I went into this with a little bit of prejudice. Um, so like I said, I, I, I've never outwardly disliked The Eyes of the Dragon. It's just not one that's hooked me. So I went into it not really wanting to read it, uh, not really wanting to enjoy it. Um, so I don't know if I gave it as much careful attention as I should have. Uh, because, to be perfectly honest, uh, the, the the Stephen King cast <laughs> um, is an intense process. Uh, it's one thing to read a Stephen King book, which is very, very enjoyable, and you can just fly through a book, right? Uh, this, doing this, however, really slows the process down greatly, clearly. You know, I have a book in one hand, I have my iPhone in the other, and I'm just taking notes the entire time. Then I type up the, you know, then I tweak the notes later, Um but it's 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 just it's nonstop, right? You know, I I haven't taken a break um, in a little bit. I, I took a break in the fall, not that anyone would notice because I, I have so many episodes in the can. Um, but I haven't taken a break, and maybe I probably should at this point. I don't really want the quality of these episodes to go down, and I don't want me to be overly harsh on novels if I don't have to be. You know, I. I was harsh on Cujo, but I was fully invested in reading that novel. Um, so about a month ago, I, I reviewed the Bachman books, and it was a short episode. I didn't have much to say. Maybe it was because I was burning out a little bit. Maybe because there wasn't much in the content to talk about. And the same thing here. Uh, I, I still have more to say, don't get me wrong, about um, Eyes of the Dragon, but... I don't know if it's because I'm burning out a little bit or because um, or because there's just not much of content to really talk about. It's, you know, it's a fantasy story, uh, right? You know, and, and there's good characters. You know, there's good moments. But I don't really know if, if there's much more for me to talk about in that regard. Um, but like I said, I don't want to be too harsh on the book because the cat and mouse game... That the book becomes at the end, uh, with the forces gathering to, to conspire against Flag, and Flag sensing that something might be up. It's it's awesome, you know. So I mean, when I said that the second half is good, I, there's parts that are awesome. You know, Flag's suspicions give way to the bloodlust and madness that was made famous by his portrayal in The Stand. And as I'll get into later, there are times when he feels more like the man in black version from The Gunslinger. And here, like I said, he reads exactly, exactly like Flag. And and that Flag, the Randall Flag, the walking dude, is an awesome character. So it's great to see him 
pop up again. You know, I think, I think that a lot of the prejudices that I had going into this novel actually might have less to do with the novel and more to do with the illustrations. So let me talk for a few minutes about the illustrations before I get into the characters. We have been fortunate enough um, to have experienced wonderful illustrations in Stephen King novels. Um, thankfully, the Dark Tower series, each novel has, has been illustrated. Uh, we have been treated to the art of Bernie Wrightson in three Stephen King novels, in uh, Cycle of the Werewolf, in The Stand, and in um, <clears throat> in Wolves of the Kala, the Dark Tower, you know. So we get artists, and it's great. Now, don't get me wrong, I don't always like what the, the illustrations in the Dark Tower series um convey uh especially the the wastelands for a scene that that doesn't really take too long within the novel itself there are multiple illustrations of of the the horrors found within the wastelands and there's so many elements in the novel that could have been illustrated but anyway i'm not talking about the wastelands right now i'm talking about eyes of the dragon um i don't know i i just i and i just reread uh nosferatu by by joe hill and uh, that has some small illustrations by Gabriel Rodriguez, who uh, was the illustrator for Joe Hill's graphic, or sorry, comic book, um, Lock and Key. So it's just another example of, of, of comic book artistry coming to the forefront. And Bernie Wrightson, who I had mentioned, is, is a comic book artist, uh, a well-renowned and beloved comic book artist. And I, I just feel that when there is a, an industry that is populated by incredible talent. Why you don't always go straight there to the comic book world? Because it's their job to tell a story with pictures. And they're able, and let's just say Bernie Wrightson. Let, let's just look at, at Cycle of the Werewolf and what he was able to do with Cycle of the Werewolf with those beautiful, beautiful pictures. Both the, the colored ones and the black and white ones. The black and white we were given great vistas and landscapes of the small town uh, that served as the setting for the werewolf attacks. And then we had these great splash shots of the, 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 the scenes of the werewolf, right? So he was able to distill a scene down to one image. And it, it, it captured everything that we needed to know about that scene, and it was dynamic. Each you know each uh, picture was dynamic, and that's what comic book artists are able to do. They're able to capture a moment in the story, and and keep it fresh and keep it alive. And none of that is present within the eyes of the dragon art. Now, if you told me that a twelfth uh, a 12-year-old drew these pictures. That would be great. I would give this person credit. But there's something that's so flat about these pictures that I just, I, it really takes me out. You know, for instance, on page 373 of the paperback edition of this novel, there is a picture of Flag, who is 
it, just take a moment. Please look at this picture. In the scene, it's the confrontation between Flag and Peter. In the picture, Flag is holding his axe. Okay. However, this is what it looks like. Flag, who takes up most of the space, okay, um, is looking to the left of the page. All right. He's just looking dead across from himself. Perpendicular to him, across the room, is Peter. They're supposed to be looking at each other. And the artist's interpretation in this picture, you can tell that they're supposed to be looking at each other. They're clearly not. That falls very, very flat. Um, so that's an issue that I have. Also, if you look, he's holding an axe. However... He's clearly not holding an axe. It looks like a third person is holding an axe in a way that no one would ever hold an axe and jutting it into the forefront of the picture. Not anatomically, this picture makes absolute no sense whatsoever. And it's just one example of many examples of the issues that I have with the art found within this novel. It, it, it just, like I said, the word that keeps coming up is just is, is very, very flat, very, very thin. And... I think that a if you had taken someone that worked in the comic book genre and assigned them this story to write, they could have made some wonderful scenes come alive. Um, but this this is these pictures are very very literal, and they 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 just fail to capture the 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 heart. Uh, and the tension in any of these scenes, and like I said, just anatomically, they just don't make sense. So that's that's an issue <laughs> that I have. Um, okay, so that's that's about the art. Now I want to get into the characters. First, we have Roland. He's a stock character, right? But that's by design. King paints him as bald, bland, <laughs> asexual. He doesn't like women, but it's not implied that he prefers men. He just seems to be emotionally stunted because with a mother who was alive so long, he never had to grow up. You know, he's treated by the reader the same way he's treated by his people. He's likable enough, but we think he's an idiot. And I don't think that anyone really cares that he dies. You know, we want Peter to be the king, which means that he has to die. You know, and, and the, the townsfolk and everyone in the kingdom, they want Peter to be king, so they kind of want him to die. So there's really not much to say about, about Roland. And then we have Peter. Uh, you know, Peter is conceived purely, purely, right? I mean, in in the sense that there was no magic elixir that was needed. He he came about in a in a pure way, coming off the heels of a victory over nature presented by fire. Now contrast this with the drunken lust, near rape conception of Thomas during a blizzard. On one hand, we have Peter, the symbol of Roland as best, with Thomas. Um, the spawn of flags, manipulation, and greed. So we have our two characters, our two brothers, set up against each other. Um, one is represented by fire, the other represented by, by you know, ice and snow and a blizzard. You know, one um, from a man at, at, at the pinnacle of his life and the other um, the result of a magician um, who is pretty much immortal. Now, Peter is intelligent, he's kind, you know, he's shaped with an internal strength. He's the golden child, the image of what we expect a prince and future king to be. 
Not only do we see him learn attentively from the lessons of his mother, specifically the god and dog speech, but he doesn't draw a line with associating with other classes in his kingdom and stands up for animal rights. King does a great job at creating the character of Peter. Uh, in the wake of Roland's murder, Peter acts very much the part of the king. His trust in the system by putting down the crown in order to stand trial and standing up to himself when the guard spits in his stew shows that he's every bit of the leader that he was destined to be. And we have Thomas. Uh, we know that everyone loves Peter, and we learn right away that Thomas's birth coincides with the death of his mother, the beloved by all, Sasha. As stated earlier in the Peter section, he's the contrast to Peter. As Peter was conceived naturally following the apex of King Roland's life, Thomas was conceived at his lowest moment in a time in which the queen was hurt from the lustful lovemaking. If Peter is the product of King Roland, then Thomas is the product of Flag and is then manipulated by, by Flag. And then, while on the subject, we have Flag. We learn that he's manipulative with his first description, which is followed by a pale face that is always hidden by a hood. He's a true magician who has lived over 200 years old. I'm going to talk a lot about Flag um, later on, so I'm not going to talk about him here. Most of what I have to say about the character has to do with Flag in context of the other works of Stephen King, specifically the Dark Tower, so stick around for the uh, Dark Tower section um, of this review. So we have some Kingisms here. Uh, we have um, clearly Randall Flag. I, or I'm saying Randall, but um, Flag, the character Flag, the the dark man, the the man in black, the walking dude. This character is, uh, you know, like I said earlier, you know, you pull um, a Stephen King fan who you think the, the favorite villain is or who you think Stephen King's best villain is, they're going to say one of two characters. One is going to be Pennywise, the dancing clown. The other is going to be Randall Flagg. Um, and maybe, maybe when Matthew McConaughey brings him to life on the screen, um, it just might be, uh, it might not be 50-50. It might tip the scales. A second Kingism that we have is a character named Roland. Uh, the other more famous Roland, of course, being Roland the, the gunslinger. Um, we have a prominent black tower here. It's the needle. Uh, we have the ability to make oneself dim, which is something that we see again and again, particularly around this particular character flag. Uh, we have a gathering community, um, which to me is the, the thesis for, for Stephen King. This is his, his philosophy, and that's um, that only when you, you rely on the others around you can you combat and overcome uh, the obstacle. Uh, so in this case, it's Anders and Dennis and Ben and Peter rallying around each other um, in order to combat Flag. We have the, uh, the long escape from prison uh, seen before in uh, the Shawshank Redemption. We have the concept of the cycle of evil that was last seen in it but here we have the character flag who he comes in he creates unrest it erupts into civil war or death he leaves a time of peace and prosperity uh settles about the land he comes back and the the process uh begins again 
Number 10, or not number 10, just number whatever, uh, we have the Horrors in the Storm. Uh, the, the final storm swirling around the final battle reminds me of the fate of Little Tall Island in Storm of the Century. And then we have uh, Crystal Balls. So here, Flag has a Crystal Ball. And next, we will see a Crystal Ball prominently in Wizard and Glass, which also features Flag. And for the uh, quote, or the, the, the text that I think um, pops off the page or, or is the one that sh is worth talking about the most, um, I think that it will be found on page 152 to 153, and it's a section about Peter. King writes, In some deep way he understood. They wanted a good king they could love, but they also wanted to know they had been saved by only a hair's breadth from a bad one. They wanted blackness and secrets. They wanted their fearful tale of rotten royalty. God only knew why. They say you wanted to be king. They say it must be so. Pena believes it, Peter thought. And that guardsman believed it. They all believe it. This is not a nightmare. I've been accused of my father's murder and not all of my good behavior and my obvious love for him will dismiss the charge. And part of them wants to believe that I did it. Peter carefully refolded his napkin and laid it over the top of the fresh bowl of stew. He could not eat. That, I don't know. I, I just think that with, uh, with the paparazzi culture that we have um, and the, uh, just the obsession that we have uh, with celebrities and we want the dirts and we want the secrets, I think that that, even though this is a, a fantasy story it it rings very very true to our world um and our people's need for corruption okay everyone uh that's all that i have for eyes of the dragon specifically eyes of the dragon um i am releasing this with a simultaneous bonus episode where i will be going into uh the eyes of the dragon's relationship with the dark tower series so if you were looking for a more in-depth discussion around flag that's where you should head to right now now i do want to warn anyone that has not read the dark tower series i do not advise you to go over there because there will be some pretty heavy spoilers for the entirety of the dark tower series um so if you've only read eyes of the dragon and don't want anything spoiled just listen to this episode and then next week um you know, come back from misery. But uh, if you have listened, I'm sorry, if you have read the Dark Tower series, then of course, head on over to the bonus episode uh, where you, where I go into a lot of detail discussing the Dark Tower. So um, in the meantime, if you have not done so already, feel free to, uh, you know, subscribe on iTunes or write a an email to stephenkingcast at yahoo.com sharing your thoughts. Um, or you can follow me on Tumblr and Pinterest and Facebook and Instagram and Twitter, all Stephen Kingcast. So I'll see you all here next week, everybody, for my review of Misery. And in the meantime, everyone have a fantastic week. Um, and like I said, I'll see you here again. Same King time, same King channel, Stephen Kingcast. Frolicked in 
land called